You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Welcome to Decidedly, where we're all about defeating bad decision making. Today, we are talking with Michael Sherlock, CEO of Shock Your Potential. Before launching her global training company, Michael was the vice president of U.S. sales for two multinational medical device companies, responsible for net revenue exceeding $75 million and as many as 500 employees at a time. In 2020, she released a Shock Your Potential app, an on-demand training tool for leadership and sales professionals. Michael is someone that I met earlier this year. I was on her podcast, Shock Your Potential, and we talked about leadership. We talked about money. Today, we talked more about leadership. That's Michael's expertise, and I, I know I learned a lot. I hope you will, too. So listen and enjoy. You had made a big move a few years ago from a VP of medical device sales mm-hmm. and decided to move into your own business doing leadership developing and, and coaching mm-hmm. things like that what precipitated that move because that's that's a big move right yeah that's oh a- yeah the short a- answer to the question was well i guess the bigger picture is i'm a serial entrepreneur so i've done this a few times and i actually started a company very much like what i'm doing now when i was in my late 20s but i wasn't really ready for it i wasn't ready to be able to sustain myself financially you know until you make money so i've had a couple different businesses i got kind of lured back into uh, corporate america for a while in those VP positions. And I love them. The last one that I was in, there was a complete transformation with, from the CEO down. And so the company just basically turned over and all of us in the executive positions lost our jobs. And so at that point in time, I had published my first book, but I wasn't able to really promote it. And I knew I wanted to write more and read and speak more. So uh, luckily I just said to my husband, I said, I think this is the chance that I'm waiting for. And he's like, okay, great, let's do it. And uh, so, you know, made that transition, that jump, and it was wonderful and terrifying and was going great until COVID. (laughs) (laughs) What was that book that you you wrote? So it's uh, my first book is called Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees. And really, and both my books are written like novels. And so the goal is to share leadership lessons and sales lessons in a format that's really easy to digest. Like you can recognize yourself in the characters and some Mm. of the things that they go through. And uh, my second book is called Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. So when you wrote, tell me more, were there things that you learned from your corporate life that caused you to say, I've I've got to document these things. These are the key, Mm -hmm. what were the key questions or the techniques that help people ask better questions? Yeah. Well, really it was about a breaking point. So at one point in time, when I went back into corporate America and all of a sudden I'm leading at that time about 350 people or so. And I had literally 32 people who reported to me and we were going through massive change. So we were, you know, in a big corporate restructure, I was helping the largest portion of all the enterprises to assimilate (laughs) into one. And I knew I was going to pare those people down. We had to, you know, change a lot of uh, leadership models for that part of the business. But having 32 people report to you when you've always been somebody who gets everything done, like, you know, I would have the answers. I have solutions. I'm moving, moving, moving. 
And I got to the point where I realized I am not developing my team to think for themselves or take risks or chances. And that's my fault. So instead of me solving all the problems or giving all the solutions, I'm going to start asking questions. And so when people would call with a problem, you know, then I would say, instead of saying, well, here's, here's how you fix it. I'd say, well, tell me more, tell me more about that problem. And I keep asking them versions of tell me more. Well, tell me more about that. Why did that happen? What, you know, what are your thoughts? And as we do that, I call it unpacking. So when you, somebody is going through those kinds of questioning, uh, process, then they're thinking now they're like saying, well, oh yeah. And then there's that. And then there's that, because a lot of times when people have an issue, they, it seems so insurmountable. This this giant big issue. I need one solution instead of peeling back the onion, lots of different questions and saying, well, tell me a little bit more about that specifically. Okay. So then, then what happened? And as we unpack, it's like a suitcase. that's really, really full. So, so full that you have to sit on it to get the zipper to close. And when you do that, you have to make some choices. So if it's not going to zip, you have to unzip it. You have to either take everything out and repack it nice in a nicer way. You have to, maybe sometimes you have to leave some things out, or maybe sometimes you pack two suitcases and, but you're making choices because you have all of those items laid out in front of you. Now Then you're saying, well, what's most important. If I can only take one suitcase and I can't fit it all in what's most important. And it's the same type of process that I was working through with people. And what I was finding is I would get it to the end and they'd have everything unpacked. And I'd say, Sean, given everything you've said to me, what do you think? you should do, we should do, the company should do, you know, what do you think is the solution? And 95% of the time you're going to be right because now you've seen that issue from a distance. And in that distance, you gain greater clarity and you have Mm. some different kind of peace and resolutions. You see different solutions. And so when we get there, what I was doing without even knowing it on my end first was I was training people to think more constructively. And so as we got farther and farther, oh, well, and one part though is if they really didn't know the answer then, then I'm there to help. If they said, I, I really have no idea what to do. Well, great. Let me tell you what I think based off of what you've told me, but always trying to bring it back to giving that person a sense of empowerment in it. What I found is the months, the weeks, and then the months that I started doing this, people came to me way less frequently with big problems. They came to me after they'd already tried things, worked them through, and or if they wanted to brainstorm, they might call and say, Michael, hey, I have this problem. This is what I think about it. This is what I think we might do. This is an issue I might, um, you know, I'm a little concerned with, do you have any other, other suggestions? So instead of me as the leader be, being the solver, I became a collaborator. And so in that process, as I collaborated with people, they were more willing to take risks. They were more willing to, um, to make decisions, to come up with things on their own very creatively. And it changed my whole leadership uh, perspective with enormously. And it took so much weight off my shoulders because I was no longer trying to solve everybody else's issues. <laughs> was there a turning point when you realized that this was happening? Oh yeah. The turning point was I was on vacation with my husband in Ireland. Before we went, he said, now we are going on vacation, right? Like you're going to unplug. Like you're going to not check your email every morning. (laughs) And, And we actually have a rule that we have always done where we get up and we check email 
do whatever we need to do for no more than one hour every morning, vacation, whatever. And that way we are able to clear everything out, you know, and everybody knows that they'll have one shot at us, you know, while, while we're there on vacation. So we were doing that, but my phone kept ringing and the emails kept coming. And I realized my husband was getting annoyed. I was getting annoyed. And that was when I realized this is not my fault of my people. They don't want to call me while I'm on vacation. They know I'm in Mm -hmm. Ireland. They don't want to do this. I did this. I did this to them. I did this to me. And when I got back, I just said, I called my team, you know, got them on a conference call. And I told them, I said, look, I have not done right by you guys. And here's how we're going to do it differently is we're going to, I'm going to, you know, give you more freedom. I'm going to give you more leeway. I want you to take risks and chances. And it it took a while. I mean, it took six, seven months before they started getting comfortable with making decisions on their own, a lot of decisions, but then as they did and they got stronger, boy, I'll tell you their leadership effectiveness just went much, much higher because they were using the same strategy with their teams. Do you find that you have to have some preliminary trust building or questions to set up this tell me more question, because I think there's the risk, at least in my experience, where I've I've done similar types of discussions. And in fact, two days ago, I just went through this with the guy that I really respect, been around a long time. And he, and and I was sharing with him an issue I was going through. And he, it was really funny. He said, when we start talking, I'm going to ask you what you think the issue is. And I'm going to ask you that several times. And we started talking mm-hmm. and he kept sliding that in he, and he started with, what do you think the main issue is? Mm-hmm. And I kind of went on and he had, he had a few other questions. He says, now having, having said that, what do you think the main issue is? I'm mm-hmm. like, well, you know, so, you know, and I went through it again and, and he says, oh, that's, that's really, really interesting. So now that you've through that, what do you think the real issue is? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and it was really, it took me to, I ended up in a different place than where I started. It was along the same path, but it was yes. a deeper, more meaningful answer than what I had come up with ahead of time. And he told me he was going to do it and he, <laughs> he did it, but he, you know, just like what you said, he, he didn't offer any advice he was asking questions about things that were important. He was helping me, as you said, unpack some mm-hmm. of the uh, the content of the, the situation I was in. But it was really, really meaningful. But it was interesting to be on the receiving end of that. <laughs> when you go through that question, are you let, sort of going through an understanding with people where you're you're sort of asking permission to lead or asking permission to ask that question because they're going to hear it more than once? And you don't want it to seem inauthentic, I I would assume, right? Well, it was funny because there was, I remember specifically, and I kind of allude to this story in the book, but where I was doing that with someone in a very large meeting. So we had almost 30 of the people there in a meeting and this gentleman, I love him dearly, but he doesn't always think. And he would get stressed and think only in a, you know, kind of, I don't want to say a closed mindset, but he'd only see so many options. So as I start doing this to him, you know, in front of the whole group, everybody had been exposed to it at some level or another, but nobody had put all the pieces together yet that I was actually working this strategy. 
So as he was going on, you know, sharing something he was frustrated with, and I'm like, tell me more. And then I, I keep asking him questions. I always say variations of the words, tell me more, because you're asking different things. So tell, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Or, you know, what was the backstory to that part of the story? So he's going on and I kept saying, well, tell me more. And at one point in time, he goes, why do you keep asking that? Why do you keep saying, tell me more? And by that time, you could see all the lights in people's eyes go. And they're like, oh my God, she's been doing this to me for seven months. And I started <laughs> laughing and I said, I don't know what you mean. Tell me more. And then all of a sudden it dawned on him and he went, oh, you've been doing this to me for so long. And I said, yes. I said, I didn't mean to do it that way, but I find that when you get stuck, then you stop seeing all the possibilities. And by asking those questions, you are now forced to look at other options. And, you know, he started laughing after that point in time. And I said, you know, I know it may be frustrating to be on that other end of that, but look at what you've accomplished. So once we got past it, he got it. But for everybody else, you know, that I would work with after that, especially after I uh, released the book, is, you know, it's kind of a joke with everybody. They're like, oh, tell me more about that. But it's really, really effective. And it's effective in personal relationships and business relationships, in negotiation, in sales processes. So it's the ability to ask questions that show you really actually care about what the answer is. And meanwhile, while you're listening to their answers, you're learning things about people, about how they process information. How do they strategize? How do they make decisions? What are their stress points? And so the long answer to your question is, I don't always tell them what I'm doing, but most people at some point in time either go, oh, wait, she's asking me these things to help me get clearer. Or they're like, oh, that was brilliant. Thank you so much for your help. You know, And I'm like, sure, yeah, I don't know. I did nothing. All I did was ask you good questions. You came up with the answers through the process. Yeah, Sean does that to me all the time. And it's so annoying because I'm aware of what is happening to me. And the most annoying part is that I'm aware that it's good. Mm -hmm. You know, if it wasn't good or helpful, it would not be as annoying because you can yeah. fight it. You can be like, ah, I'm not going to do that. You're like, oh, this is like, you're not just going to let me complain or you're not going to tell me the answer. Right. So now I've got to work through it. And sometimes I know the answer and I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think that happens a lot when people are unsure about a decision. It's like, I'm really hoping that you, Michael, right. will just tell me what the solution is. That way you own that decision and I don't own it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, when you get through the process, there really are people who go, I really don't know what to do, or I think I do, but I don't want to make that decision. And those are really important statements as well, because then people are either understanding their limitations or they know that they're facing a challenge that is uncomfortable to them. And the fact that they can verbalize it actually takes them a lot farther. And I'll give you one other really interesting example, a little bit more specifically, but I had another manager who uh, we butted heads a lot of times because I was coming in, changing the entire company, uh, this family run business that had, you know, been there for decades. And I was the, you know, the harbinger of, of all doom. Mm -hmm. And so he would fight me a lot of times. And one day he called and he said, and he was just so upset and I was like, what's going on? And he goes, I just don't know what I've done. I can't, you know, I'm so frustrated. And he was just verbalizing all this stress. And what it, come, it had come down to is that 
on a conference call with his team, he was trying to teach them something, something new as part of our sales process. But what he was doing was what he always does is talk at people, tell them what they're going to do and, you know, expect them to follow. And it was very quiet. And, you know, and so he's calling me and he's like, and I don't want to call you because I know, I don't want to know your answer, but I need your help. And enough. And we walked through it a little bit. And I said, what do you, you know, what do you think? And he goes, I don't know what to do. That's why I called you and I'm not happy about it. And I said, okay, well, here's, here's the reality in your situation. I'm going to tell you something and you're going to hate it. You're not going to want to do it. It's going to make you sick to your stomach. You're going to be mad at me every moment you do it, but it'll be the biggest growth opportunity of your entire career. And so he's like, And I purposely set it up like, you're going to hate this. This is going to suck. You're going to, you know, you're going to want to crawl into a hole. Mm -hmm. And he's like, fine, what do I need to do? And I said, you need to call each one of your people and ask them what you need to do differently to get them motivated. And I said, don't start with the ones that like you the most. Start with the ones that don't like you the most and ask them and then just be quiet. Don't defend yourself, don't whatever, but ask them to share things with you that will help them be more open to training and guidance. And when it was all done, he called me a couple hours later. I really did not think he would call all his people. And he called every single one. And he's, when he called later, he goes, that was really hard, but I now know what my issue is. And that is, I just talk out people. I don't listen to them. I don't try and motivate them. I don't try and guide them. And his whole demeanor changed. I saw him flourish over the next year and a half. Mm -hmm. Never had seen anybody in that kind of role move from one set of leadership styles to another. And it was really amazing because he, he did come and say, I don't know the answer. I need some help. And even though you're not the person I want to give it to me, I will accept it. And that's incredibly powerful. What else, in your opinion, is useful or important when soliciting useful feedback? From your employees or? Well, I guess from anyone, because Mm -hmm. in order to remove our blind spots, we've got to solicit feedback, right? We have blind spots for a reason. We're not going to go figure out our blind spots without feedback, (laughs) but obviously there's a bad way to do it, right? If I go, hey, so uh, what do you think about my leadership? You know, nobody's going to tell me that it's terrible. (laughs) I don't know about that. Some people might. (laughs) Some people might. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to get a whole lot of constructive comments. Right. right? And there's certainly ways to frame the question. There's, I would imagine there's environments in which you could ask the questions that are not Mm -hmm. good. What else did you learn about how to get good feedback? Well, it's really important that, you know, you said we won't see our blind spots, you know, on our own, but we really can. We have to spend time recognizing them. So I talk a lot about the reflection. You know, I always mm-hmm. tell people you have your mirror with you. You just hold up your hand and look at it and pretend that's your mirror that you travel, especially as a leader. And you have to look for them. You have to recognize them. You know, if you have high turnover, you know, if people aren't really open with you or comfortable with you, unless you're truly, uh, what's, I don't know what word I want to use, but basically a person has no feelings, <laughs> you know, you psychopath. Will, you will, psychopath. That's actually what I was going for. Okay. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> psychopath. Unless you're a psychopath and I do more specific, I said like, number one, I want you to say, Hey, singer, I just wanted to let you know that I know the conference call today sucked. I get it. 
I mean, nobody was talking. And so I just got nervous and I kept talking Mm -hmm. and I know that I didn't do a good job getting buy-in. The reason I'm calling you today, Sanger, is because I need help knowing how to do a better job getting my team motivated in conference calls. So see how I'm being very specific. Sure. I'm recognizing that I had a failing. I'm being specific to this. And I'm saying, if you could give me a piece of advice to do better, what would you give me as a piece of, of advice? And see, then that way I'm very specific. I'm not opening it up and I'm aligning it to that issue that was really monumental that day. And like I told him, I'm like, you need to call them all right now. Mm -hmm. It's all fresh in their mind and ask them. And so then you might say, well, even if you're a little uncomfortable, you might say, well, Michael, it would really help if maybe you uh, took some questions. Maybe it would help you if you actually got one of us to try the new sales process first, and maybe we could share. One of the people said, you know, one thing I would really love would be the honor of getting that sales strategy first and being able to test it because then that looks good on me because I'm getting some leadership experience. I can share it with a group. I'll help get people excited about it. So he learned not only that he needed to listen more and give more feedback and ask questions, but he learned to leverage his team. So, you know, one of the things he learned out of that is I need to have allies. So before I go into team, maybe instead of me leading the entire conference call, maybe I should encourage more people to be a part. So they feel more a part of what we're doing. They're going to give me feedback ahead of time. I don't have to do it all. And therefore I get validity based on the fact that Sanger and Sean said, Hey, you know, we tried the new process. And that's when you start to get more, you get not only better at development and feedback from yourself, but you start to listen to people instead of trying to defend all the time. So I'm working on a project to try to get feedback from our team. I was fascinated to hear what you had to say, because as I was building out these questions, I'm like, I'm going to ask for feedback. I want the team to tell me what I can do better, what I need to stop doing all of those things. And I went I spent hours just on the words of these questions. Right? And I thought about using the word motivated and I wasn't sure whether or not it was a good selection of a word because, and, and rightly or wrongly, I, I don't know. My thought was I wanted to, the core of what I wanted to know was what are the things that I'm either doing that I should continue to do the things I'm not doing that I should do, or the things that I am doing that I shouldn't do that are impacting someone's decision to embrace or reject my leadership. Mm-hmm. And that the way I just worded it is so corporate and, <laughs> you know, boring and wordy. I think you've convinced me to just say, Hey, what motivates you? <laughs> it's probably a well, lot simpler. And it depends Cut on the, the situation. <laughs> you know, it depends on the situation, what you're, And I love the word motivating because we have to be motivated to produce results, whatever those are. If we're not motivated in some way, then, you know, then it's just not all that important. But I also think that sometimes we know that people can be very nervous about giving their leader feedback. So if you have like a big form, Hey, here's my, you know, like 360 reviews, I do not think are a great idea. Nobody's honest in them. It's very stressful. Even if people say, Oh, it's nobody's going to know your answers. There's always somebody who knows what answers Mm -hmm. came just by the way, somebody writes something. So that really heightens anxiety in people, especially if they need to give their leader 
less than yeah. a stellar mark on everything. And if you only get stellar marks there, you know, you either didn't need to do the survey because you're awesome or because they're going to lie to you. Somebody I remember had like a, it was almost like a Friday news, not a newsletter, but it was like a Friday email blast to their team. And they're like, what one thing would have made your job better this week? You know, and it was something that gave everybody a little opportunity And sometimes they were more specific. Hey, did you guys like, was the town hall meeting, you know, was it, did it give you everything you needed to know? Was there any information we missed that we couldn't have gotten? And so you can ask for little pieces at a time where people are less anxious about what uh, information they're delivering and align it to something that makes feedback and interaction a much more common occurrence. Because my team now, I'll tell you, they, you know, we, we work on each other all the time and give feedback. It's not always easy to hear, but when we do it regularly, people aren't as hesitant to do it. That makes sense. Yeah. Like working out, you know, if I go do bench press tonight, I'm going to be sore for the next two weeks. I don't do bench press. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But if you do it tonight, you'll be sore, but if you do it then two days later, but Hey, I like running. If I go run, I'm going to be fine. Right. It's working out. You're working out that muscle of feedback. It gets a lot easier and more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think one of the things I've found is when you're going through that question of sort of helping somebody uncover the true answer, I think it takes some skill to do that because Mm -hmm. there's a risk that it seems inauthentic. In other words, you know, if you you just keep saying, tell me more, tell me more, you, you wouldn't do it that way. As you shared, you have different versions of that. There's a process that we go through that Sanger and I go through when we're starting a relationship with the client and uncovering what's important about their money to them. And there is a a questioning that goes through. And because that question keeps coming at them, it starts to get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And you, so, you know, and and this is a technique that we picked up from Bill Backrack, who does some uh, coaching in our industry. And, you start asking somebody what's important about their money to them. And and they'll say, well, you know, this or that. And then then we'll just ask them again. And so I found myself prefacing those questions saying, I know I just asked you this and it may seem odd, but I'm going to ask you again. And, and, you know, then ask again and say, you know, it seems ridiculous, but let's go through, you know, you ask it again and ask it again. And so there comes a point and I'd be interested to hear your answer but I'm starting to feel like, but I don't know, I'm starting to feel like we're getting to the end of the line, right? We're getting to the real yeah. part of the matter. And so what I'll say is, is there anything more important than that? Or do you think we've gotten to the real issue or on a scale of one to 10, how close to the end of the issue do you think we are hitting in the real issue? Do you think we are? Yeah. So just sort of checking in with them, to say, do, do I have your permission to, to, to stop this? Or do you, do you think we're, we're really where we need to be? Do right. you find that there's a, a technique that you're using that helps you sort of know that you've gotten to the real issue? Because you certainly don't want to bail early and leave the issue unresolved, but you certainly don't want to annoy the person by just keep sort of plowing the same ground. <laughs> It depends on what the scenario is, because if you're leading people and you're trying to get them through that process, then you can take it to the point where they might even be losing their mind. And you go, look, I just need to make sure that we're 
completely emptying out this suitcase because as we move forward, that'll be helpful. But I think what you're talking about here too is in a sales process, which is fantastic because the questioning is so important. And I think it's really authentic to say, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to go through a lot of questions. A couple of these questions are going to sound very much like the same question. There's a reason for that because as we dive deeper into people's money, and we talk about things that are important, you're going to have some guttural responses, you know, some initial responses. And then we find that the more we get into the process, that maybe you even look deeper within yourself. And so we're going to try and help you go as deep into those questions as possible. But I also feel like when you have a, I teach a lot of sales and I love this. I love being very upfront with somebody to say, I'm so glad we're having this conversation and hopefully I've got a solution for you. But what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a lot of questions along the way to make sure that I have something that you need. And if I do, fantastic. And if not, I think we'll figure out what the next best option is for you. And people are always nervous about that. Like what if I have a potential sale in front of me, I don't want to let it go. I don't want to say I'm going to let you go or send you to the competition. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you? You know, our goal isn't to, you know, strap somebody in a chair with duct tape and keep them there till they say yes to buy our products, good or services or ideas. We want them to willingly engage mm-hmm. and willingly make the decision. For instance, if somebody is going to hire me to speak and I'll say, tell me more about what you're looking for. Well, we're looking for a leadership speaker. Great. What specifically is important to you guys with a leadership speaker? And they'll start, you know, oh, somebody who's engaging, somebody who's got knowledge, great expertise. Okay, great. What kind of engagement do you like? Do you like, you know, so you you ask them a lot of questions. So by the time you actually get to the price and say, here's what I charge for this program, you've already asked them about you, the venue, what your goals are. Do you have a budget? (laughs) Because when people start to say, hey, how much do you charge? I say, let's have a discussion first about what your need is. And then we'll talk Mm -hmm. about what my fees are. And if they match, great. If not, I know I can help you find something else. And through that, they relax. And like, oh, okay. It's not a yes or no or all or nothing. Maybe through the process of discovery, we find that this works and it's perfect. Or through the process of discovery, we find that it's not, and we can move on. Uh, I have found that to be so true in in that I was working with somebody uh, earlier today. In fact, uh, they were planning a a corporate retreat for their leadership team and tried to sort of nail down a budget. And so I just started asking a bunch of questions because I had numbers in my head as to what the spend ought to be on that corporate retreat for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my first question is, what experience are you trying to create? Mm-hmm. And they talked for a bit. I said, what are you wanting to accomplish in terms of, you know, what do you want the outcomes to be? You know, are you trying yes. to yes. You know, go over the business plan? Are you trying to set vision? Are you trying to create social connectedness? What do you, you know, what are you trying to do? Okay, well, how much do you think that would that would cost to do that? You know, yeah. we started just asking questions and it was really interesting he got to the number I had in my head mm-hmm. almost exactly. And I never yeah. said that. I never said my number. Well, I just started asking questions, you know, yeah. okay, how is, how's everybody going to get there? Where are they going to stay? What, what entertainment are you going to have? What mm-hmm. group activities are going to be? Are you going to have drinks? Are you going to, are you providing yeah. me? You know, I just started asking all the questions and he, it was really funny. He came to write the number. It was funny. I'm in a business group called entrepreneur organization 
and it's a global organization and uh, Sanger's in it as, as well. And there's a the process we go through of, of sort of helping uh, people in our group understand what their issues are. And one of the rules that we have is that you don't give advice. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that the reason we don't give advice is that then I own the advice, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't go, doesn't go swimmingly, you know, they yeah. can blame me or if they don't take my advice, you know, obviously and, they're an idiot, yeah. right? They're an idiot, you know, because they didn't take my advice <laughs> or they don't take my advice and it didn't work out that I'm like a ha ha. See, you know, I told mm-hmm. you and you didn't, you know, aren't you an idiot? Yeah. There's some relational risk there, mm-hmm. but also, you know, you, you want to have people own their decisions yep. and come to a decision on their own. So, you know, I think that's, I try and remember that when I'm working with other people is that, that I want to want to be careful because I want them to own what that solution is. I want it to be their solution. Yeah, absolutely. Not not my solution. The idea of not giving advice is so, so hard to adopt. I I teach a class, Michael, on to other advisors on storytelling and communication. And I try to implement this idea. I was like, I want people to develop their own ways of speaking that are their own ways and not say, why don't you try saying that? And so I told everyone, I spent like two weeks of this class only focused on the idea of we're not going to give advice. And here's why we're not going to do that. And these are the rules you don't give advice. And I just had to give up at some point. I was like, it's very difficult. What I'll do is, and I, I've tried to help the people in my group do this as well, but, is to say my experience has been X or when I went through that, this is what I found. Or I tried this one time and this is what happened. This is how it worked out without saying you should do the, you should do what I did. Right. I'm just saying, here's, you know, I I've tried it this way. It didn't work out so well. Or, you know, do you find yourself doing that? Or do you just go straight in and say, this is my advice. This is what you got to do. This is. Oh no, I don't. I just, I hardly ever do that at all. And it's really because when I get people to that point and I say, what do you think we should do? that most of the time they have the answer. And that's, you know, to what you guys are talking about, that's the power, that's the empowerment when you're like, oh, because then when I say, that's a great idea, Sean, I let me know how I can help you. I I've now validated you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've validated you. I've empowered you. You've empowered yourself. And then you're like, oh, Michael said, that's good. All right, excellent. I'll go try it. But if you get to that point and you're like, I just really don't know what to do. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Then that's when I'll say, well, you know, from a few things that you said, here's some things that I would consider. Or in another scenario, sometimes people come up with solutions and they'd say, oh, I think I should do this. And you alarm bells are going off in your head and you're like, no, you should not do that at all. Then I'll say, that's really interesting. Tell me more why you think that's a strategy or do you see any pitfalls with that? And if somebody really doesn't know, or they really can't get on the path, then I will say, I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you, Sean. I have some concerns about that strategy. Would you like to hear them? Yeah. And by asking, would you like to hear them? You of course have to say yes. I'm forcing you to say yes, but by saying yes, you are also agreeing that you're going to be open to what I have to say. 
And I'm going to first tell you, my concerns are that strategy may be a little detrimental because A, B, C, D. Now, I think there are other ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Would you like to hear my ideas? And you're going to say, yes. So my I'm asking permission to give you that advice. And as we get there, then we start to have some real forward progression so that the ability to say, would you like to hear what my thoughts are? Would you like to hear my concerns? You know, I'm forcing you to say yes, but in that process of saying yes, psychologically, we open ourselves to new options. And that's when we can get past some of those hurdles as well. And I don't remember where I picked this up, but there is somebody that I heard some leader say, would you have any problem with me providing some advice. Yeah. <laughs> would you, would you have a problem with me giving a suggestion here? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so clever because yes. it's the same type of thing, but the answer is no, right? I know I don't have a problem. So now they've, they've been empowered with the no. <laughs> <laughs> and the no minute I get to give you advice. And I've had a lot of trouble implementing that myself. I don't think I've ever been able to do it successfully because <laughs> it feels so, it just feels so aggressively like passive aggressive, aggressively yeah, I just, passive aggressive. I, just, I could never do it. <laughs> Well, and I, I think I, I can see that as a perspective too. I like to come from the power of the positive. So when somebody says yes, yeah. you know, then there's a release of tension. So yes, there may be power in saying no, but there's that no still has, it has more, uh, more energy, negative energy behind it. So mm. as I'm going for the yes, yes, tends to flow people being more open. So yeah. Hey, there one. Six of one, half dozen of the other. <laughs> I had a, uh, had a conversation with a guy this last week and he, he asked me a good question and he prefaced it was, you know, it was going to be a hard question for me to answer. And he said, and nobody done this for me before, but he said, the answer doesn't have to make sense. It may not. What do you think the answer is? And it gave me the permission to just go, I, you know, I guess it's, you know, it's X. And then he had some other questions about that. I thought it, that was really sort of a stress removing way to open up his question, which was, it doesn't, this doesn't have to make sense. The answer doesn't have to be, be right. You know, so it gave yeah. me the permission to explore something. So it was really uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think I do similar things. So I'll say, so I've got a question for you. You may not have the answer right away, but let's think mm -hmm. about it. Let's talk through it together. And so my question is, and so by even saying that ahead of time, I'm going to ask you a question. You might not know the answer, but let's work through it a little bit. Then I'm prepping you to start thinking. And in that process, to your point, I'm giving you permission to not have the answer. You don't have to have the answer, but what I want you to listen to is the question not whether or not you think I'm going to say yes or no, that that's right or wrong and take a little of that pressure off so that the brain can work. And we know that when we get into high pressure situations, our brains don't work very well. Right. So, you know, giving people that opportunity to breathe is really, really important. Sanger, you may remember me doing this sometimes, but one of the more irritating things that will happen is that if you're asking somebody a question and they're like, well, I don't know, you know, well, what do you, why do you think they responded that way? I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. And so I have gotten the habit of saying, well, if you did know what do you think? <laughs> I hate that. No, I hate that so much. 
<laughs> I knew you'd remember me doing this. And so I'd always come back. Well, okay, just imagine you did know. What what do you think the answer would be? <laughs> Another thing I've done that gets people unstuck is, you know, if I say, well, you know, why do you think they reacted this way? I don't, I don't know. If I asked them, what do you think they would say as to the reason they were, you know, and they go, well, you know, they would say X and they, well, there's the answer. There's your answer. <laughs> and so there are a lot of ways to get unstuck because I think it, particularly for some people, when it gets defensive, we're, we're getting close to that mm-hmm. tripwire. We're getting close to that core issue that someone doesn't want to reveal. Right. Right. It is that the defenses go up. They stop answering. There's a lot, I don't know, or it's, mm-hmm. they're not answering the question. They're filibustering or they're <laughs> deflecting or, you know, something like that. Because not everybody wants to reveal to you. I, I did this because I was afraid of failing. I right. did this because I thought I would look silly. I did this because I was insecure, you know, and I was yeah. embarrassed, you know, absolutely. Not everybody's going to get there. <laughs> Yeah, but no, you know, you can just keep asking the questions. And I think that if people know that you care about their success, if they can trust you to not use that against them, then you can get to some core issues sometimes and help people resolve things that, you know, that they want to resolve. Yeah. Sometimes you you have to help people get past that, that stuck point, you know, that really, and sometimes I tell, you know, I've had people on my team where I'm like, I have to help you break free of whatever confines you've given yourself. So it might be a little uncomfortable. We're going to, you know, push some boundaries uh, in terms of what you're comfortable saying or doing or or not doing in terms of, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that, or I don't know how to think through that. Or, and as I get them there, I try and say, we're going to challenge it just enough to make it a little uncomfortable, but I know it's uncomfortable. So then when it gets too uncomfortable, then tell me we back off a little bit, but then we'll keep, you know, the pressure on a little bit just to get past whatever that hurdle is, because we all have mental blocks or we have those sticking points, those pain points that we just don't want to rip that bandaid off, but we know that we're not going to grow until we do. And it can be painful, but once you're past it, then you're fine until you get to that next pain point. <laughs> right. <laughs> What are the keys in being able to receive feedback? Mm-hmm. We've been talking about giving feedback and that's really important, but receiving it, you know, when, when we get to that point where we've now seen the issue, we've got the choice to be defensive. We've got the choice to keep this thing in our blind spot, even though we've been made aware of it, it can still mm-hmm. stay in the blind spot because we can choose to not accept it. How do you overcome that? Well, for me, actually, and what I do for myself, as well as for my team, and I know we're only going to be on audio, but for you guys, as we're talking, you see my little yoga dog up in my, in my window, I have this little uh, statue thing that reminds me always to breathe. I started meditating about nine years ago and just the simple act of taking six deep breaths in and, you know, in through your nose, out through your mouth it clears a lot of the emotional trigger points. So when you know you're going to hear information that is tough, even if you can't get six breaths in, but you can take one good deep breath in and let it out, 
even while you're hearing it, even it will slow your body's response down. And that's really important that we understand it's not just a mental ability to accept feedback or deal with stress. It's physical and it, and that physical affects our mental and then it becomes a cycle. So it's even why, you know, I now have a, you know, because sitting down too much physically puts me not in a good, clear mental space all the time for each of us, that balance between how we're operating in our brains versus how we're managing that through our bodies, we can find more success. And just a couple other little tricks is, you know, I always teach people that if they're nervous, you grab your hand in the the web between your uh, thumb and your forefinger and you just massage it. I used to teach people that if they were nervous speaking on stage, I'm like, if you do that and you're massaging it while you're talking, you won't have your hands doing a lot of weird things. Nobody knows what you're doing, but you will be relieving the stress. And the release of the stress means that you won't forget your speech or you won't forget your talk in front of your group because you are releasing the stress responses in your body. And so same thing with when people are giving you feedback is that sense of take a deep breath. I'll give you an example. I have a member of my team. She's had some challenging situations and she's in a sales role for me. And we've had some, what my team knows we call difficult conversations where we're talking very openly and honestly, where I'm giving feedback that's hard to hear. I call them difficult conversations. I say, hey, we're going to have a difficult conversation. I want you to be prepared. I want you to breathe. But my team also knows that I don't have difficult conversations with people unless I know and trust and believe that they're going to get, they're going to evolve. I, do, I always say, I don't waste my time with people who aren't worth my time. So if we're going to have a difficult conversation, there's going to be moments of discomfort. So I try and work with them to work on the physical, to take those deep breaths, to stop for a moment and go, okay, let's just let that sink in for a little bit. But as we go through them, and we're watching, if we're delivering the difficult feedback, it's up to us to watch that person and help them and guide them. On the flip side, when we're receiving, to remember that feedback that's hard to hear is not always an attack. It's most often used to help us be better. So when we can find that physical space, allow it to give us some mental space, then we can receive it more openly and not feel like it's a character flaw or something that we've done wrong, but that it's truly actually feedback to make us better. Then we have to figure out how to embrace that if it's worth embracing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And then that's, be a, able tricky, to that's a tricky one, right? Because I know I've gotten feedback and, and so has everyone else that I look at it and I go, that's not even a problem. That's your problem, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that can't be my response to 100% of feedback because right. I, some of the feedback's real. Hey, I do have that problem. Hey, I do need to get better here. That wasn't as good as it could have been, mm-hmm. but every now and then it's kind of BS. Like that's not really, you just don't like how that went down. Right. Um, it doesn't mean I made a mistake. How do you identify that? Well, first of all, I mean, you have to stop and ask yourself, okay, is this valid? And if it's really not valid, is it something I still need to address? Because if somebody else thinks it's really valid to them and they really truly believe it's valid to them and it's something that they think needs to be fixed, then you're going to have to listen to it at some level and figure out either say, okay, I hear you. I'm going to, whatever, I'll make a change if it's not important. Or you might say, I understand that Sanger, I hear what you're saying but let me explain why this is not going to change. So then you have a dialogue you know, about it. But if you sit back and say, this is not valid, nor is it important, 
Mm. nor will it last long. Then you take those deep breaths and you go, put it out of my mind, move on, let it go. It's easier said than done. I'm one of those people who can fixate over everything. But when you make that conscious decision to say, okay, it's not valid, it's not important, it's not going to last, I'm going to move on from it, I got to let it go. But the other- That's different than defending it. That's different than saying, well, I did this because. Right. Because if it's not important and it's not correct and it's not ever going to come up again, who cares? Let it go. Mm -hmm. And be able to walk away from that because there's power in that. Sometimes you have to say to somebody, I hear what you're saying. I don't agree with what you're saying. I understand that this might be a problem for you, though, if you don't see it fixed. And I need to talk to you about why it's not going to be. (laughs) And this might be a difficult (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Now, and that's easy to say if it's coming from somebody that maybe you manage, you work with a colleague or, or even a customer. But when it comes from someone who is your leader, that's a little bit more challenging, obviously. <laughs> Sometimes it's a lot more challenging because that might have longer term repercussions. So all those things you have to put into play to make the decision of how to respond, not mm. only to that person, but to yourself. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I learned a lot. This was really timely for us. We didn't plan this, <laughs> but Sean and I have been working on feedback all day today. And then we end up having you on and talking about it and getting yeah. a little bit better. So thank Good. you so much. Where can people find you? Well, the easiest place is shockyourpotential.com. Everything that we do is listed there at shockyourpotential.com. You can download the Shock Your Potential app. We've got everything. Actually, our app is offline for right now as we're changing companies, but uh, it'll be back up here soon. But yep, shockyourpotential.com. Did I get that in enough times? <laughs> there it is. Perfect. Hey, would you tell me more about that? My takeaway from our discussion with Michael was around the very question of tell me more and the permission to use that question repeatedly, both when I'm providing feedback to somebody I'm leading, but also when I'm receiving feedback. So that was my takeaway. My biggest takeaway is that when when giving advice to someone that I'm leading, that can often be misinterpreted as micromanagement or correctly interpreted as micromanagement. Maybe a better way to do it other than giving advice is lead people to come to their own conclusion. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly, where we're all about defeating bad decision making. Hope you had a great time listening to our conversation with Michael Sherlock. Michael is a great leader and has a lot of fantastic insight on feedback. I know I learned a lot today. If you learned something, give us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. If you didn't and you think we're not five-star worthy, I hope your hair dye runs down your forehead like Rudy Giuliani in the summer heat in New York City. Check us out on Instagram and our website. See ya. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Singer Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.